Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. So as a deacon, my ministry is mental health ministry. And as part of that, I had the idea to preach at a different church every Sunday in May for Mental Health Awareness Month. You might notice that it's not May anymore, and I'm still preaching. (laughs) So that's pretty exciting that it has expanded beyond that, and that churches continue to invite me. Today, I'll be talking about the movie Inside Out. It's my favorite movie, even though it's a kid's movie. I love it so much. I watch it at least once a year. And we're going to watch the trailer now so that you can have an idea of what I'm talking about. Looks pretty good, right? Um, This came out several years ago, so many of you might have already seen it. And if you haven't, it's on Disney Plus if you want to watch it later or watch it through a new lens after listening to this sermon. So I want to take a minute and explain why this movie means so much to me. A few years ago, I was talking to my friend Shannon about which Avengers movies I had seen. I told her I'd seen the first one, but not the second one. And she corrected me and said, no, you have seen the second one. We saw it together at the drive-in theater. And she started describing the big battle scene. And I was like, 
that sounds like something I would remember, and I have no memory of that. So you must have seen it with a different friend. And she's like, no, we definitely saw it together. Remember, it was at the drive-in. It was a double feature. Inside Out was the first movie. It's like, oh, right. We saw Inside Out and then Avengers <laughs> that night. It's a weird movie combination, but drive-ins, you know, do weird things like that. And I knew she was right. I definitely remembered seeing Inside Out with her at the drive-in. But I still had no memory of seeing the second Avengers movie after that. And my theory about what happened is that I saw Inside Out, and then my brain just stopped forming new memories for the rest of the night. My brain was like, that's enough. We need to process that amazing movie. We can't take in any more information. You see, at the end of Inside Out, I turned to her, and I said, that movie was like a perfect depiction of my depression as an adolescent. I related so much to Riley in that movie. So if you haven't seen it, and if the trailer didn't quite you know, fill in all the details for you, um, I'll give you a brief summary now about what it's about. Inside Out is about an 11-year-old girl named Riley who moves from Minnesota to San Francisco with her parents. Big move across the country. The movie is really about the emotions in her mind who are trying to help her work through this huge change that they're going through. Joy and sadness, two of those emotions, accidentally get swept out of headquarters, and which is basically the control center of Riley's mind, and they get lost in long-term memory. Riley is left with anger, fear, and disgust, controlling her emotions and her actions. Joy and sadness spend the movie trying to get back to headquarters so that Riley can feel happy again. And I specifically say that it's a perfect depiction of my depression as an adolescent, because adolescents don't have exactly the same symptoms of depression as adults do. One of the most common symptoms in adolescents isn't necessarily sadness. It's more often extreme irritability, which is why it's so brilliant that in the movie, joy and sadness get swept away. Because Riley isn't, is depressed, I think, but she's not feeling joy or sadness. She can't. They're gone. Instead, what she's feeling is anger and fear and disgust. And when they each take their turn controlling her, she acts in ways that I would interpret as Riley being irritable. And I'm not saying that Riley is clinically depressed. I don't think she is. But I think she does have situational depression brought on by that huge move uh, leaving behind everything and everyone she knew and loved. But at age 12, I was clinically depressed. And when this movie came out, I saw those experiences reflected on the big screen. I now know that I'm not alone in struggling with depression or experiencing a mental illness. According to SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse uh, and Mental Health Services Administration, one in five adults in the United States will experience a mental illness in any given year. That's 20% of the adult population in the United States. And that number, one in five, has stayed pretty steady until now. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, has reported that as of February 2021, the percentage of adults with recent symptoms 
of an anxiety or depressive disorder has increased to just over 40%. That means that coming out of the pandemic, as of a year or so ago at least, 40% of adults in the United States are experiencing symptoms of a mental illness. That's a huge number. That's two in five people instead of one in five. I want you to think about all of the places you go throughout your life and all the people you see in all of those places. All of the people that you see at work, at the grocery store, at the bank, the gym, the park. Think about all the people you see at church, all the people you see at home. For every five people you see in all of those spaces, imagine that at least two of them are struggling. Maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you already know who those people are. Maybe you're the one who's struggling. So many of us are struggling, and yet we don't want to admit it. There's this pressure in our society, and let's be honest, in Christianity, to always be positive and happy, to look on the bright side of every situation and find the silver lining. Because things could be worse, right? There are people who have it way worse than we do, so we shouldn't be sad, right? So we shove our negative emotions down, we bottle them up, and we put on a mask, and not the face mask we've been wearing for two years. You know the mask I'm talking about. The happy, smiling mask that hides how we're really feeling. And when someone asks us, how are you? We always, always say, I'm fine, even when we're not. Or is that just me? We also have a tendency not to want to burden other people with our problems by talking about what we're going through. I work at Griffin Place in Kalamazoo, which is a crisis center, and part of my job is answering crisis calls. So when people in Kalamazoo County have a mental health crisis, they can call the local, our local Griffin Place helpline. Uh, and people across the country can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And I'm one of the people who answers those calls, both for the local line and the national line. So I often ask callers if they have any friends or family that they can talk to about what they're, about what they're feeling. And they often say they don't want to burden their family or friends with their troubles. They'll say they have their own problems, they don't need to deal with mine too. Or they don't know anything's wrong, they think I'm doing great, I don't want to change their opinion of me. I don't want them to look at me any differently. Or they'll say, I'm the one that everyone comes to with their problems. I have to be strong for them. I can't let them know that I'm also struggling. They need to come to me as a safe space. Youth say this too, by the way. Youth will say that they don't want to worry their parents or that they see how stressed out their parents already are and they don't want to be the cause of more stress. A lot of us are struggling, but we don't want to talk about it. We don't feel safe talking about it. We don't want to admit to other people that we have negative emotions. 
We see this in the movie, too. Joy is mostly in charge of Riley's mind. Most of Riley's memories are happy, and Joy's very proud of that. Each of the other emotions know their purpose and role in Riley's life, but they still feel like Joy should be the one primarily in charge. Although, to be honest, none of them really know what to do with sadness. They all get really upset whenever sadness does anything or touches anything. Joy even goes so far as to draw a chalk circle around sadness and tell her to stay inside and not step outside of that chalk circle and not touch anything, right? So even in a movie that's all about our emotions and how they help us, sadness still gets suppressed. But to God, all of our emotions are sacred. The scripture this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is part of a genre called wisdom literature. The books of wisdom in the Bible offer different reflections on the human experience and different perspectives on how to live a good life. Today's passage from Ecclesiastes tells us that there's a time for everything. There's a time for laughing, a time for crying, there's a time for loving and for hating, time for dancing, time for mourning. If we take this passage seriously, if we accept it as wisdom, then that means that there's a time for all of our emotions. There's a time for joy, for anger, for disgust, for fear, and yes, even a time for sadness. Instead of pushing away or ignoring our unpleasant emotions, we should embrace all of our feelings. We should acknowledge and attend to whatever we are feeling. After all, God made us emotional beings. God gave us these emotions, so it stands to reason that we should embrace them. And this shouldn't be surprising. The Bible is quite an emotional book, after all. My favorite book of the Bible is the Psalms, which is arguably the most emotional book in the Bible. It's 150 songs or psalms, poems, prayers, uh, that show the full range of human emotion. There are psalms showing joy, grief, resentment, confusion, despair, fear, hope, remorse, and everything in between. The psalmists weren't ashamed of their emotions. They weren't ashamed to be sad or angry like so many of us are today. And the psalmists weren't ashamed to come to God with those emotions either. They weren't embarrassed to tell God how they were feeling. They brought everything they were thinking and feeling in these prayers to God. They take, the psalmists take the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of themselves and bring it all to God. And God still loves them. God loved them through it all, the good and the bad. And God will love you through it all, too. God loves you no matter how you're feeling. I think as Christians, we're worried that being angry, sad, or scared means we don't have enough faith, or that we're not praying hard enough. After all, if we just trusted God more, we would be happy. Right? Except Jesus, the literal Son of God, 
the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, he experienced all of these emotions too. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that he really gets what it's like to be human because he was human too, which means he experienced what we experience. Yes, he experienced joy. We don't see him laugh in Scripture, but I'm confident that Jesus laughed, right? We do see Jesus cry. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still took the time to mourn and weep for his friend. Jesus got angry multiple times. He got angry when he saw merchants using the temple as a marketplace. He got angry when the disciples tried to stop the children from coming to him. And he got angry when Peter told him that he shouldn't suffer and die. In that instance, he told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Definite anger in that sentence. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus died, I think he was scared. His prayer to God that night indicates fear to me. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he needed to do. He was still scared. So if Jesus can be angry, sad, and scared, why can't we? As Christians, we're called to live our lives like Jesus, to act like Jesus as much as possible. Well, one of the things that Jesus did was acknowledge and embrace his emotions. He didn't push his feelings down. He didn't ignore them. Jesus didn't pretend everything was fine when it wasn't. He acknowledged and honored his emotions. He allowed himself to feel his feelings and express them in healthy ways. And we're called to do the same. I know there are a lot of emotions in this room about the Supreme Court ruling from Friday. A lot of people in our country are feeling angry, sad, and scared, and many other emotions as well. I have a feeling there will be an increase in crisis calls um, from people who are considering abortion. I've already talked to a few people on those crisis lines um, about that difficult decision, including one who was so deeply distraught over her situation that she was having suicidal thoughts. And those conversations happened before Roe v. Wade was overturned. So I can only imagine how much more calls like that will be getting now. I don't know how you're feeling about it, but I'm willing to bet that you experienced some emotion when you heard the news on Friday. Your emotions are sacred. Try not to ignore those emotions, whatever they are. Try not to move past them too quickly. No matter what you're feeling, you can be like Jesus and find healthy ways to express those emotions instead of bottling them up inside. Well, it's hard to do, but it's a healthy thing to practice. When I was 12, I didn't really know what I was feeling, partly because of the depression that I mentioned earlier. One night in particular, I was feeling very irritable, just like Riley and just like many other adolescents experiencing depression. I wasn't sad. 
and I didn't describe my experience as depression, but I was angry and scared. And in the context of Inside Out, I would say that anger was in control of my mind that night. And just as anger inserted the idea of running away into Riley's mind, anger inserted the idea of dying by suicide into my mind. And once those ideas were locked into place, they couldn't be removed and there was no turning back. Once Riley put her plan to run away into motion, and once I put my suicide plan into motion, our con the control consoles in our mind started to shut down, and we couldn't feel anything anymore. Riley and I were emotionally numb, and we no longer felt joy, sadness, anger, fear, or disgust. We felt nothing. That moment in the movie, when the console shuts down completely, and the emotions realize that they can't make Riley feel anything. That moment is what hits me the most every time, because that's what happened to me. When I was in the hospital later, I just didn't feel anything. I was emotionally numb. Now, I'm one of the lucky ones. My suicide attempt was unsuccessful, obviously, and didn't leave any lasting damage to my body. And I was able to get the psychological help that I needed. For Riley, what helped her be able to feel again was sadness returning to headquarters and touching the console. Sadness was the only one who was able to unlock the idea of running away from Riley's mind and get her to return home. For me, I think what helped me was a combination of antidepressants and therapy. Riley didn't need antidepressants or therapy, because like I said, she wasn't clinically depressed, right? But I did, and I do. Mental illnesses are illnesses, and they need to be treated like we would treat physical illnesses. So with the help of antidepressants, I gradually started opening up and discovering my personality. Remember, I was 12, so I was still forming who I was, learning who I was. In the movie, Riley has these islands of personality, in her mind, uh, that make up who she is. She has Family Island, Goofa Island, Odyssey Island, Hockey Island, and Friendship Island. So these are values and interests that are really important to her. And at one point, while joy and sadness are lost in long-term memory, those islands of personality start to shut down. And they break down. Loss of interest in things that used to bring you joy or that you used to be interested in is a common symptom of depression. When Riley accepted all of her emotions, particularly sadness, her islands of personality were rebuilt and some new ones were even added. For me, it was when I started taking medication that my personality really started to show. And I frequently thank God for my medication and for the different therapists that have journeyed with me throughout the years. So, how can we treat our emotions as sacred and embrace them? What does that look like? And how can we help others embrace their emotions? Let's look at the movie again. So for Riley, healing came when she was able to share her sadness with her parents. She told them that she really missed Minnesota and she couldn't be the happy girl they wanted her to be. And in that moment, she learned that she wasn't alone in her sadness. 
Her parents also really missed Minnesota and were sad. They all hug in that moment, and it's a beautiful moment of connection and love. Riley gives a small smile because she's feeling understood and supported and relieved that her parents weren't mad at her like she thought they would be. She was worried her parents would be mad at her for being sad instead of happy. So she's feeling relief that they're not. Have you ever experienced that? That relief that comes after sharing your burden with someone? Sometimes I can hear it in callers' voices. They'll be crying at the beginning of the call, breathing heavily like you do when you're sobbing, and just overall sounding distressed. And by the end of the call, after they've gotten it all out, after they've talked to me, and after I've listened and received what they have to say without judgment, they've stopped crying, their breathing has evened out, and they sound calmer. It doesn't always happen that way, but it's really beautiful when it does. A key point in both of those stories, both from the movie and from my experience with callers, is that the listener doesn't try to fix it. Riley's parents don't try to cheer her up. They don't tell her about all the amazing things that they'll be able to do in San Francisco that they couldn't do in Minnesota. They don't talk about all the awesome friends she'll meet or all the different things that she can do. They don't tell her to just give San Francisco a chance and things will be better. They just listen to what she has to say. Then they join her in her grief and they show her love. And when I'm taking crisis calls, I don't try to fix their problems. I just listen. I often wish that I had a magic wand that I could wave that would make all of their problems go away. But I don't. And I'm often amazed at how many callers sincerely thank me for just listening. I know how tempting it is to want to try to fix things for someone you care about who's struggling especially when the solution seems so clear. People often just want someone to listen to them, to truly hear them. They don't always want or need solutions. So next time someone is sharing their hurt with you, try just listening to them and accepting what they are saying without trying to cheer them up or fix the problem. You might be able to get to that point eventually. You just start with listening and accepting what they're saying. And next time you're feeling what society has deemed a negative emotion, instead of ignoring it or shoving it down, try just sitting with it. Acknowledge it. Ask it what it needs. And treat your emotions as sacred by accepting them and by being vulnerable and sharing them with someone else. I know that's scary, but it builds community and it shows us that we're not alone. Imagine what it would be like if we all embraced our emotions and treated them as sacred. If that was part of our culture. What do you think would happen? 
I think we would be less likely to break down or lash out when our emotions are too big. I think our emotions would feel less overwhelming because we would be attending to them more often, right? I think our relationships with each other would be more genuine and authentic. I think there would be fewer people in our, in our world who feel like they're alone and can't talk to anyone. I think we would be more loving and empathetic people. God created you in God's image as an emotional being. God gave you the gift of a wide range of emotions to help you deal with everything that life throws at you. All of our emotions are sacred. Let's embrace them. Amen.